You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 22 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast, the show for June 2015, and I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me, I have a fabulous panel, um, nicely divided between both sides of the Atlantic this month. So uh, joining me on this side of the Atlantic, I have Nick Riley. Hi, Nick. Hi, Bart. It's good to be back on. Oh, it's great to have you back. It's been, you were very good about being on every second show and then reality happened or something. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Well, I think I think two um, ago you you were asking for people who'd used the Photos app, and I had. I was, yes. Uh, and then last time, I think it was just as you say, life got in the way. It does that, doesn't it? It does. Then, representing the nearest part of the other side of the Atlantic, we have Steve Stanger coming out of podcast retirement somewhat. Hi, Steve. Somewhat, yes. Yeah, semi-retired. Uh, it, it, listen, it's great talking to you again, Bart. It's been so long. I, th- I have to say, it's a genuine pleasure to hear your voice again. It's, you know, I mean, you, you know, you've been in the community, but you haven't been talking to us. I know, laying low, but hopefully that changes soon. Well, here, we'll leave change. it at that. Okay. There's a change here now, right? Yes. I'm blowing the dust off the microphone. Go figure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then from the very other side of the very other side of the Atlantic, we have Victor Cahillo back again. Hi, Victor. Hey, Bart. Thanks for having me on again. Always a pleasure to have you on, Victor. Um, now, to, to our American listeners, actually, depending on how good I am at editing this show, this may or may not be out just before July 4th or on July 4th. So if you're American, you're on your day off, have a great time, enjoy the fireworks, take some nice photos, eat lots of tasty but not very healthy food. I think that's what we do on July 4th, isn't it? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Around you, here, you we it. do that almost all the time, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a lot like St. Patrick's Day. Anyway, <laughs> without the fireworks. Okay, so this is or this is the start of July, therefore the end of June. So we have a whole June's worth of Apple news to catch up on. And as I was saying in the pre-show, June is never a quiet month of Apple news because, of course, there's this small thing called a Worldwide Developers Conference we're going to get to talk lots and lots about. But before we get stuck into our main stories, I just want to catch up a little bit on a few legal stories. So on the one hand... We now finally know the answer to the ebook case. On the other hand, I think the answer is wrong. So Apple's appeal was not successful. It was a split decision, two to one. The court, the appeals court, said that Apple were indeed guilty of price fixing and a cartel. So it may or may not get appealed higher, but I believe the only higher is the Supreme Court, who have been a little busy of late. Anyone have any more thoughts, or are we all talked out about this awful case? I, I wouldn't say talk out about it. Um, it, it. It's one of those things where, once again, there's going to be precedent set with these kind of cases. Hmm. And it seems like our favorite tech company seems to always be the one being taken to court. And I know we have some other court cases we're going to talk about involving Apple. But – I think this is, again, still the tip of the iceberg. I still think we're going to see more cases, tech cases coming along where Apple, if they are not the 
main part of the case. They're definitely going to be part of the case. And I think that's where this type of thing is important. Maybe not so much this case or losing the appeal, but what it kind of means for the future as far as litigation and tech companies. I think my bigger concern is what it means for for the ebook industry because it, it seemed like the only way Apple could tackle Amazon selling below cost was with the agency model, and that now appears to be an illegal way to go about things. Right. Which leads me to wonder how one you know how one can legally get into an industry that has a player who has a dominant market position and is using below-cost selling to retain that dominant position. So, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see how it plays out. Anyone else, any thoughts on this, or do we move on to the next story? I'm going to take that as a move on. So, (laughs) Apple are, like Steve said, constantly ending up in court, and a lot of the time they're ending up in court by people claiming they're breaching their patents. One such company was Unwired Planet, who took Apple to court and then proceeded to lose their case. And Apple feel that they had so little case in the first place that the court case was effectively malicious. So Apple are now have filed paperwork with the court to try to force Unwired Patent to pay Apple's legal fees of 15 million US dollars. So I, kinda, I like this. I like this kind of turnaround. I think in some ways they've got to do it, haven't they? I mean, if if they are being, if they are that big target with lots and lots of money, mm. then when people come and make silly claims, well, well then they're going to want their pound of flesh, aren't they? Because they they don't they don't want to encourage people to do it. Mm. And if they don't if they don't do anything about it, then probably others will think, well, maybe we'll have a go. Yeah, I think there should be. You should have some skin in the game if you're if you're going around suing people over patents. Yes, I believe one of the proposed reforms actually is that this kind of thing would become the norm. Where if you take someone to court over a patent and you lose, that the other guy can claim expenses because you took them to court. Yeah, I certainly hope it becomes the norm. It is oftentimes already here in the U.S. Um, one of the things that uh, the party always asks for is that the losing party pay for attorney's fees. It doesn't always get granted, mm. but I think this would set a, a very good example for the trolls out there. Uh, and uh, 15 million is a, a definitely a good example. Yeah, I mean, it's a drop in the water for Apple, but it's the kind of thing most companies on this planet would worry about. Yeah, they might be on broke planet after they have to pay that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um. And then to round off our legal section, this is more of a one to put a pin in rather than anything that's really happened just yet. But the European Commission released a press release saying that they are opening an investigation into Amazon's ebook distribution arrangements. So on one side of the Atlantic, we have Apple definitely having lost. And on the other side, we have what I consider to be a more sensible question is how did the person with the massive, massive, massive market share get and retain that massive, massive market share. So hopefully this is something we get to talk about, you know, over the next, well, maybe not years, but for the next while anyway. It probably will be years, but... <laughs> okay, yeah, realistically, it involves the European Commission. When did they finally decide that Microsoft of the 90s had done stuff wrong? Was that in the 2010s or something? <laughs> Wasn't it Windows 7 where they had to put in the little doodad in Europe to let you choose your browser? Oh, gosh, now you're asking. It's a little while ago, isn't it? 
Yeah, it was a long time after the alleged, you know, after they got it wrong. So, yeah, this could indeed be a while. Okay. We'll see. Indeed. So before, I'm going to tease a little bit more before we go into WWDC because I'm being slightly chronological. So I think that a lot of people expected WWDC to have a strong HomeKit presence. And part of that, I think, was because we expected it to have a strong Apple TV presence. And then in the week before the keynote, we ended up with the little bit of HomeKit news or walls being dropped before the keynote. And as well as the rumor that the Apple TV had been dropped from the keynote. So it's a year since HomeKit was announced. And so far, what we know is very little and there's very little really happening. Uh, Apple released a document saying that the Apple TV third gen and newer can act as a hub for HomeKit devices, of which you can buy almost none at the moment. But there are devices on the way from Echo B, Elgato, iHome, Insteon and Lutron, none of which I really know anything about. And then I do know about Philips Hue, and they're getting HomeKit support this fall. Anyone have it's any... All, Sorry, well, Victor, you're, this is your bailiwick, to, uh, right? Well, I, I love it. I mean, I think um, the connected home is a, is a great advance in, in what I used to call the future, and now it's here. Um, I, I think the idea of a hub or... Um, something that's able to talk to these disparate devices that we have out here is going to be important and there's going to be a lot of players in that game. What the Apple TV hardware does in that will be interesting just from a connectivity perspective because of the standards or the different standards that we have out there. Um, It was interesting to see many HomeKit compatible devices being released right at the time of WWDC when this Apple TV was supposed to be mm. uh, released. Um, I suspected, and I think I even podcasted, that the TV, the Apple TV product itself, was ready. It's baked. It's ready to go. They just haven't made all of the deals. Uh, and I think John Gruber wrote an article the other day saying he'd heard from pretty credible sources that that indeed is the case. So here we have uh, you know, a case of really holding up the home kit part of that device um, being held hostage, if you will, by the final uh, deals that Apple is making with the content providers. I don't think they want to release that uh, product until they have everything zipped up and they're able to present that as uh, as the next gen real solution to the entire problem. Unfortunately, home kit uh, gets kind of uh, left out for now. Yeah, it, 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 I guess we don't miss it as much as we could because there's so few devices ready. If the devices were ready and then the thing hadn't come, I think we probably would have been even crankier. Yep, I agree. I, mean, I think that HomeKit is only really going to be everything, something everyone wants if, it, if there's an element of it which is always on, always yes. listening. Uh, and I'm not, I, I don't know much about HomeKit, I must admit. I haven't really taken much notice of it, but... Is that element, is that part of it? Well, ideally what you'd like is for your home automation stuff to be always accessible from your phone. So you're out and about and you want to be able to reach back to your house and, you know, change things, alter things, do things. I think that's true, but I'm, yeah, I'm not, so I'm not sure. You need an always on device, right? Yeah, I'm not sure whether that's what I want to do in my home, though. What I want to do is walk in and for my home to know I'm there 
and do stuff for me. And then when I ask for stuff, I don't want to have to find my phone first. Well, I think it can mm. do that too, right? Because you're right, you, you, your Apple TV has got to know when your iPhone appears on your Wi-Fi. Yes. Yes, that, yeah. that's right. And, and it's about the different devices talking to each other, not only talking to the hub, but making these connections between your lights and your music and if you're Austin Powers, the curtains on your living room, you know, so so that when you drive up to your driveway and your garage door automatically opens, the mood is set. All it can't do is open the bottle of wine yet. And so, it's, it's, you know, it's about that interconnectivity between devices and HomeKit allows for that to occur. Right now, we deal with one-to-one solutions. I have my DropCam and I have my DropCam app. I have, you know, uh, a a Hue light bulb and I maybe have an app for that. Mm. HomeKit kind of is a one of the unification products that you're going to see emerge to make these things work with each other so they become real life use cases, not just uh, you know, dingles and gadgets, which the consu- main consumers aren't going to care about. Right. And I'm kind of with mm. Nick on this, that I'm really more interested about when I'm home. When I mm. walk in and like Nick said, I wanted to know I'm home, whatever it may be. In this case, it's the Apple TV and, and be able to interact with it that way. The flip side of that, it would be great, say, if, uh, you know, your air conditioner is being or heat is being controlled with a, uh, a, a thermostat where if there's any issues, you're alerted that way. But so much as far as setting stuff like that, I don't need that kind of voice activation or that kind of control because usually once it's set, it's kind of set. But, yeah, it would be great to walk in and like, you know, Vic had even said as far as setting the mood and stuff like that or, you know, ready to watch a movie and the lights fade and that, you know, just say – watch movie and then the Apple TV clicks on or goes active and the TV goes on and the lights dim. And you know, I, I mean, does it sound futuristic? Yes, but we're there. And also like Vic said, we're kind of very separate right now. We have an app for this and an app for that. And I've got a remote control that does this. I, I, I mean, it would be nice to kind of get that unified and it'll probably be a little time before that happens. But that whole home control and home monitoring is kind of what, I'm looking forward to and excited about. Do I remember correctly in the keynote last year when they introduced the idea of HomeKit that they gave the example that you could simply tell your house that you're going to sleep and then the lights would dim, the thermostat would change, the doors would lock. Yep. You know, the house right. yep. night mode. So, yes. you know, I like that kind of thing. But also, just in terms of being able to reach in from outside, not everything happens instantly, right? Lights come on straight away, but heat takes a while to heat up your house. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're a, a family where uh, you know both uh, both people are working, you don't really want your house warm all day. But you would kind of like when you leave the office in the half hour it takes you to get home, you'd like the house to be warming up in winter or cooling down in summer. So for that reason, I think you you know the ability to reach in from your iPhone wherever you are is actually I think very powerful. I think it could be cleverer than that still, though. I mean, uh, uh, for instance, perhaps um, uh, you have a robotic va- vacuum cleaner, which I did have at one time, but it's broken now. Oh. Uh, but, but but say you have. Mm-hmm. Um, pr- I don't want to have to tell it to do the vacuuming. I want it to know when I'm not in the house and just do it. Which I guess the Apple TV could also do. So, oh, there's no phones in here. Everyone's gone. That's right. Clap, I'll clap. Get... Off you go, Mr. Vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's that it, kind of logic, isn't it, that, that yeah. will make it invaluable. 
Yeah, and I think it's um, going to be a must that the new Apple TV has Siri integrated into it to do that listening so that mm. you can say movie watching mode and blah, blah, X, Y, Z happens. Um, so that's going to be an important element of it. Um, certainly geofencing is already being used by um, products that do this and HomeKit will take care of that, like you, like you said, Bart, as well. But I think it goes beyond just geofencing or knowing when you're near your Wi-Fi. I think because Apple's ability uh, in GPS, it'll be, it'll be able to know that you've left work and that, uh, you know, at this point, you know, it's freezing just to turn the heater up 10 degrees. So when you're there, you're nice and toasty. Uh, we're really not as far as away as we think. Two to three years, this stuff will be second hat. The interfaces of how to use this is what I'm interested in. How are they going to get the normal user to be able to understand some of the if this and that type logic in, a, um, in an interface that it's going to be just easy? Yeah, it's a bit of a challenge there, all right, because there's so so many possibilities, and how do you present that in a way that doesn't confuse everyone? I mean, if we if we could, sorry, go on, Victor. No, go ahead. No, I was just saying we have a great example of an interface Audio Hijack Pro. We were talking mm. about our Audio Hijack Three. This kind of a visual drag and drop object link together interface, you know, is what I envision as a way of being able to do these things. Because we humans kind of, you know, grab at pictures. Uh, I have an alarm system um, that I can program in the Internet, and they've made it pretty simple. It is a uh, if this, then that, but they do it in a way where I didn't have to be a geek to be able to do it. Uh, And so uh, it'll be interesting to see how they actually go after that challenge. Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, it's strange, actually, because this week I've been – working with another colleague at work uh, to we've got some displays and we've got some software that actually put stuff up on the displays but the interface that they've actually got to program it is just so difficult um, and I just keep saying I can't believe that this isn't visual I can't believe you can't just drag drag that in drag that in tell that to start when that does that and um, but it isn't and <laughs> um, a wonderful PC piece of software. Okay, so I'm going to move us into the thing I've been teasing all along. So June is WWDC month, which means that we have obviously a keynote, but of course the advantage of doing a show at the end of the month is that a lot more happens that's related, not just what's in the keynote itself. So what I will say first is we're not going to have the time here to do a two-hour show on everything in the keynote because... This is not a two-hour show. Um, But what I will do is I will plug the Mac Roundtable, which um, everyone bar Nick is a regular on. Sorry, Nick. No, Um, that's all right. I love listening to the Roundtable. It's great. It is fun, I have to say. And this year, I happened to be the one who ended up hosting it through the accidents of how the Mac Roundtable works. Um, So we did, I think it was about an hour and a half Mac Roundtable on WWDC in all its detail. So if you want a deeper dive on the keynote itself, I would recommend Mac Roundtable, and I wish I'd remember the episode number, but it's the most recent one. So that's at macroundtable.com. Okay, so before the keynote even began, um, Tim Cook already started making news by, I believe he was meeting with young developers that Apple were bringing to Cooper, to San Francisco for the event, 
And he said in an interview that he thought it was, quote, our fault that there's a lack of diversity in technology, which was an interesting thing to say. And that was then followed up by the keynote itself, showing more diversity than Apple has yet shown on their keynote stage. Because unfortunately, in the last couple of years, it's tended to be old white guys stepping Mm -hmm. up on the Apple stage. And that was refreshingly not the case this time. Who's going to jump in on that? <laughs> or is there more to say? Maybe there isn't actually more to say. No, I mean, oh. it, it, was good, it was good to see different faces. It was good to see some women. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, yeah, let's have more of it, really. What, what particularly struck me, actually, the, the reason it, it wasn't a token, because everyone on that stage was a leader of a project that had done something to make you know, to make them the natural person to present. So it was not that Apple have said, "Oh dear, we need more, if, more women on stage." Right. It was actually a case that Apple had, over many years, obviously this must be in the works for years, had promoted women to the point where they were running stuff like Apple Pay and what was the other one? Oh, sugar. You know, they're actually running large, important projects for Apple to the point where they were the natural person to stand up on that stage and tell the whole world about all the cool stuff they'd been doing. And presumably, I mean, I mean the good thing as well is that presumably these, they get, they're going a bit further away from just having the, the figureheads on stage mm. and actually getting down a little bit further to the people who are actually doing stuff. So, you know, so you're yeah. getting like sort of first-hand um, information. Which is a trend, I guess, that started when Steve Jobs began to get ill. Yes. But which Tim Cook has, shows no interest in reverting to the Steve Jobs approach to keynotes, which is fine because he's not Steve Jobs. Yeah. Okay, so the first big thing we get is OS 10.11 El Capitan. Um, anyone wondering about the name? It is a very, very pretty mountainy thing inside um, Yosemite National Park. Hence, the, the theme we're supposed to get from this is that this is a refinement of Yosemite, not a whole big new lots of bells and whistles update. Although it and has, well, of course, got some bells and whistles. I was also going to add it was also featured in one of the Star Trek movies. Oh, yes. Kirk climbs it and then falls <laughs> off. Yes, not one of the uh, very strong Star Trek movies, but it was featured in one of the Star Trek that, movies. Oh, come with, on. The one with the jet boots. Yeah. Yes. Row, row, row your boat. Come on. That, that was fun. <laughs> I actually can't remember what the rest of the movie is, but I know he falls off the cliff and Spock picks him up. <laughs> um, one of the Actually, I've just noticed my, key, my show notes are misspelled twice. I've put in an I into Cap, a second I into El Capitan and left out the accent. Um, there's a bit of a do-da on Twitter at the moment that given that it's a, effectively a Spanish name, there should be an accent on the last A, and Apple should have done that. So I guess we can argue about that. I think the key point is that if your Mac can run Yosemite, your Mac can run El Capitan. You may not get all of the new features, but you will be able to run the latest OS. So your computer has not been relegated to having no security fixes. And of course, it will be free. It will be coming in the fall. Um, but there's a link in the show notes to one thing that not everyone is going to get. So Metal is this newfangled graphics thing that's going to... Well, I believe they said it made... Which of the Adobe products was it? It was their video editing product, wasn't it? That became eight times faster at rendering? Yes. Yeah, it was an Adobe product, definitely. Yeah. 
So metal is not for everyone. So there's a link in the show notes to a Mac Observer article that explains how you can figure out if your Mac has a new enough graphics card to play along with the metal game. But even if it doesn't, you, if your Mac can run Yosemite, you will be able to run El Capitan. Any thoughts on from anyone from the 10.11 part of the, the announcements? Well, I think we'll get some great benefit in some of the pro apps, uh, Logic, uh, certainly Photoshop users, Lightroom users, uh, things like that. Anytime that you can get um, the programming level down closer to the actual core, which is what Metal, in fact, is doing, it's letting programmers go down deeper into the actual core of the chip, uh, then it's going to give you know better performance, and that's going to take it. A lot of people will be able to take advantage of that. It'll make gaming uh, on certain Macs um, more, I think, even acceptable, and people will want to do that more. So if you are one of those people who thinks they have that machine, you'll be able to take advantage of that. I think people like Adobe obviously are going to jump all over it and in an update to their uh, most current CS, uh, they will um, apply it. Yeah. Um, there, think, yeah. No, go on. Uh, I think my uh, overall opinion was was that it was what you described it as. It it was incremental upgrades. There were one or two things that I thought, ooh, that looks quite mm. good. Mm, that looks quite nice. But there was nothing startlingly new. It was just refinement, and, and that's good. Because I think quite a lot of people have been crying out for them to get start getting stuff right and stop worrying about throwing in new features all the while. Well, the last one between all of the you know the, the the stuff they did last time to tie iOS to to OS ten, they they threw in a lot of bugs last time. We're doing such a big change, yeah. And yeah, I, th- I think we're all in the humour for a little bit of refinement. Indeed. Um, is, Steve, is there anything that caught your eye particularly? Uh, you know what? No, not so much with the new. Oh, uh, you know that desktop. OS, and I know we're mm-hmm. going to talk about what's coming out in um, iOS nine. That that more so, uh, you know, somewhat more so there. You know, I just, I mean, every time they talk about a new desktop OS, I just pray, please don't screw up my apps. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I and I mean lately, you know, I mean just to put it rather bluntly, because it's you know we, uh, you know, I mean, pretty much what I'm using on there is some pretty heavy duty software, whether it's from Apple or Adobe, and it's just like please. Let me just sit down and use Photoshop. Let me just sit down and use Lightroom. Let me use the one or two plugins that I use. Let me sit down and do my audio stuff. You know, and it's, I mean, luckily, you know, knock on wood, um, you know, I haven't had that issue lately. But there really wasn't, you know, I think it was Nick who said there really wasn't anything that had jumped out at him, you know, when they were talking about it, uh, about El Capitan. And it's, uh, yeah, it's one of those kind of just kind of sit and wait and see what happens kind of things. With this software, with this OS, rather. Yeah, I, I one thing that well, the good thing actually, since Apple have started to go to yearly releases, is those days when compatibility with apps was shattered left, right, and center. Right. They do seem touching a large amount of wood here to be over, but you know, by going annual and going smaller, we seem to have less of that breakage. Yes. No, that's true. You're 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 definitely correct there. I just remember doing my own shows before an update was coming out when I used to do the Mac Attack or even jumping on. Victor's old uh, Mac show where it was this prep. I mean, you remember that too. We used to do that in in the round table. Every time we knew an OS, a new OS was coming out, 
It was like, you know, brace for impact battle stations, you know, I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, how crazy. And that wasn't that long ago. I mean, four years ago, five years ago, where it was like, make sure your backups. I mean, you should always make sure your backups are OK anyway. Yeah. But but, you know, there were lists of what was compatible and what wasn't compatible. And like I said before, plugins that were broken. It's just so much nicer now with these. And, you know, like you said, with these incremental updates every year. And because they don't have to, because we don't have to pay for them anymore, they're under no pressure to reinvent the bloody wheel. You know, right. like OS X is now so mature that it, for for a very large part, it should just be tweaked and tidied up a little. It shouldn't be massively redesigned all the time. Mm -hmm. Of course, what is still in need of some redesigning is iOS. So let's let's transition <laughs> to that because it's a. Even though its version number is catching up rapidly on OS X, we're now at iOS 9 and OS 10 10.11, iOS is still a much less mature OS. Although it is, you know, it's not immature, but it's, 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 not, as, it's not quite as settled as the desktop. So again here, even though this is a less mature OS, in some regards, the same is still true with OS X, because if your device can run iOS 8, your device can run iOS 9. Which is a wonderful situation to be in because it means no one is about to be obsoleted. Um, in terms of new stuff, I think what, what, what seemed to catch the news media and certainly made me go, ooh, was, of course, multitasking on iPads. Mm -hmm. so, the, so I guess it's three features rather than one, I think is how we should probably describe it. So there is... This whole pop-over thing, which I believe everyone gets that, where the your main app actually kind of goes asleep. It's grayed out. It, you know, it, it's visible in a sort of a semi-transparent way, but you can interact with it. And you bring up another app in the side, and you can swipe up and down between your apps, and it looks really nice. And then there is for the... And now this is only for the iPads that have sufficient oomph, which is, unfortunately, I don't believe my iPad 4 is going to play nicely with this where you can actually make the two apps live together and decide how much of the screen each gets. And then the third one, which I do believe a lot more iPads are getting, is picture-in-picture. Picture. So if you're watching a video or something, you can switch to your email and see the video as a little picture-in-picture in picture in the you know wherever you want it and keep working away in your iPad even though you're half-watching a video, as I think so many of us do. So any, anyone else have any feelings on that? I can't wait. I hope it works the way it's advertised. One thing I did want to add about this, because it's funny because I'm looking at the specs that they say, you know, they say, you know, iOS 9 will run on any system now or any portable device that iOS 8 runs on. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind that if iOS 8 does not run well on your current device, iOS 9 is not going to run any better. I've had so many complaints from people that have had, you know, that are running, say, like the, a 4S um, that are even running an earlier version of the iPad 2 is a good example of it. Um, mm. You know, uh, it was a little bit of work, but we actually had a downgrade to an earlier version. We have an, an we have current stuff here, but we, there's an iPad 2 floating around that and, you know, went through and updated all of them. It, uh, it almost made the iPad 2 unusable. It, it, I mean, you would look at something in iBooks and it would take like three seconds for the page to turn. You would try to use Safari. And so, again, keep in mind that if you're having issues with iOS 8, and I shouldn't say issues. If your system's running a little bit slower, it's not – again, an older iPhone or an older iPad, iOS 9 is not going to 
improve it. That's, that's okay. You you may unfortunately well be right, but I got the impression from the keynote Apple were saying that actually it may run better than iOS eight because they're going okay. to basically turn off more features. I hope you know what I hope that's the case for my friends and my my sad little iPad too. That's mm. you know kind of gets passed around from room to room and stuff. But uh, you know I hope that's the case. But yeah, we know. shall see. We shall yeah. see again. iOS eight on my uh, iPad three. It can be a little bit sluggish at times. Right. I mean, I've yeah. learned to live with it, but <laughs> it's not that bad. But at times, yeah, it can sort of, you think, oh, hold on, what's going on there? Oh, no, ah. it was just oh, it's figuring out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <yes. laughs> um, so, yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, I, I hope it will run okay on my iPad 3. It just shows how much, how most of us are hanging onto our iPads for quite a long time, really. But they're not iPhones. They <laughs> No. You know, they, they have a life much more akin to a MacBook than an iPhone. Sure, yep. Yep, yeah. yep. I would agree to that. Because we have an iPad 1 in the house, and it's, you know, it's obviously not running iOS 8, but it is in daily use. I was listening to the, um, um, yeah, my brain's gone. <laughs> what was it we were just talking about? iOS, iPads, no, running slowly. The, uh, the show. Um, oh, the Mac Roundtable? The Roundtable. When I was listening to the Roundtable commentary, uh, um, I must admit I couldn't. I, w- I was listening to it, and Alison said, um, "Yeah, what, what's the picture-in-picture thing for?" She couldn't quite get her head around that. And I was thinking, "Well, hold on a minute. Two hours ago, we were watching a, um, a, a keynote. keynote. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to be in the chat room at the same time on mm-hmm. your iPad?" Yes. Uh, so yeah, I, so yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. It'd be great. Yeah, and I watch a lot of telly that I'm mainly listening to. And it would be nice if I could just go check my email while... Actually, particularly while the advertisements are on, actually, if I'm perfectly honest. Yeah. Have it just keep playing and, you know, you can actually slide it or You can move the picture in picture around and even make it be half or fully off the screen. So, you know, you just push the, that out of the way, go do something else while 4OD is showing you the same ad for the 500th time this week. <laughs> So it's a real pet peeve of mine. Channel 4 from the UK, we get it here in Ireland. They don't have enough advertisements. <laughs> and they insist on playing two of them every 15 minutes, and it's the <laughs> same bloody thing. Anyway, um, I'm I, like, you know, we, as I say, there are lots of links in the show notes which people can get to, but I'm, I'm not going to go necessarily strictly in this order. Um, I was just putting stuff there to make sure we didn't forget stuff. Because I think very much related to this idea of Apple showing awareness of older devices is the fact that they have put a lot of effort into making 8 gig and 16 gig devices not behave as horrifically as they did when you tried to upgrade to iOS 8. So we have this thing called app thinning, which is it's sort of the opposite of the fat binary that we're used to from the days when we switched from um, PowerPC to Intel. So a fat binary is where you took the code to work on the old PowerPC chips and the code to work on the new Intel chips, you put them all into one giant big file and at runtime, the appropriate half of the file would run. Well, now that we have 32-bit iOS devices and 64-bit iOS devices and we have devices with non-retina screens, retina screens, three times retina screens, we we have all of these different types of device, technically all of our apps are actually multiple apps in one. 
And at the moment, right now, this minute in time, when you download an app, it contains the 3X Retina graphics. It contains the 1X Retina graphics. It contains the non-Retina graphics. It contains 32-bit code. It contains 64-bit code. And so on an 8-gig device, having all of this extra cruft is a real problem. And what Apple are now doing is when you download from the App Store, the App Store knows what device you're downloading from, and it will only give you the resources that your exact device needs. So if you download on an old, say, iPhone 4 or something, you're only going to get the non-retina versions of things. You're only going to get the 32-bit version of things. Whereas if you download on the shiniest, newest, whatever device, iPad Air or something, you'll only get the 64-bit version. You'll only get the high-resolution graphics. So it's... Well, I think it's a very clever thing to do. And it, it again, shows that they're thinking about people with the, the smaller, older devices. Mm-hmm. It's, a good, it's a good thing. But is it also a, a little bit, just a little bit of Apple saying maybe 16 gig isn't actually quite enough, really? I guess it's them accepting the reality that 16 gig isn't enough, but we've sold them now, so we better, we better make amends. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I meant, really. Uh, I, I suppose is that it, yeah they've been still selling them and saying yeah. oh, actually perhaps these aren't quite big enough because after the keynote um, Phil Schiller was on John Gruber's show which was a surprise um, because I don't think any Apple exec has ever done anything like that and Gruber put it to him you know usually Apple sell good better best and I don't think an 8 device is any good and Schiller didn't say yes you're right John but he didn't he wasn't able to make a particularly good defense either um, but apparently 32 gig flash is harder to come by or something. He did say there was a technical reason, but the 16 gigs to me still seems, yeah, it's not a good idea. Um, although what, they, what they're also doing, so the upgrade to iOS 8 was a disaster for a lot of people because they clicked the update button and it said, you need, was it 3.4 gigs of space you needed or was it even 4 gigs of space? It was a very large amount of space you needed to install iOS 8. Yes. And if you have an 8-gig device telling you that you need to make half of it be empty, a lot of people didn't upgrade for a long time because that was a real problem. Even on my 32-gig iPad, I had to delete stuff to be able to install it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure because I had a whole bunch of movies sitting there for when I was traveling and I ended up just deleting those to make space, yeah. And now what they're going to do with iOS 9 is the installer will delete apps and then reinstall them automatically when it's finished. So while it needs the extra space to do its own compression and stuff, it can temporarily delete stuff from the App Store, and then automatically, without you having to do anything, it will go and put it back for you. So again, they're trying to make sure that that horrible experience of not being able to upgrade doesn't happen again. So that's, again, thinking of the smaller devices. Yep, and and learning from past... I don't know if you would call it a mistake, but yeah, learning from past experiences... Yes, past frictions, perhaps. Yes. Um, all, actually, while we're talking about sort of the, the, the more techie stuff, they are also providing, which well, I don't believe this got a mention on the keynote, but it was it did come out in documentation the same day. Apple have made an Android app whose sole purpose is to get you off Android. just brilliant right so it's going to take all of your contacts and stuff like that from your android phone pop them into your iCloud and then when you get your shiny new iDevice all of your stuff from your android will be waiting for you on the iDevice thanks to the magic of iCloud so I thought that that made me smile Um, I think it's nice to help all of those switchers yeah it's a clever little move 
Um, looking through my notes here, I think something we definitely, definitely have to talk about is that Apple are making Siri smarter without making Siri creepier, which I was very <laughs> pleased by. Well, right, because there had been op-eds the actual week of the keynote saying, ah, oh, well, Apple can never make Siri as good as Google now because Apple keeps your data private and your privacy means that they can't do cool stuff. And Apple's answer is, why don't we put the brains on your phone where all the stuff is and that way we don't have to be all creepy? They didn't phrase it quite like that, obviously, but <laughs> they weren't a million miles off. No, it's a great solution. Yeah. It's the same thing they're doing with our fingerprints. You know, uh, they're keeping that kind of sensitive data or our credit card uh, information and uh, as part of chipsets in your device and taking out some of the creepiness factor. So I'm delighted we get to have our we get to have our features and keep our privacy. So that made me smile. Something else that I think is worth noting is that the iOS is getting closer to having something sort of kind of like the Finder because it is getting an iCloud Drive app. So like we can now do in Yosemite, we can go to that iCloud Drive icon and see what looks like a folder for every app that uses iCloud. You'll now be able to do that from your actual iPad, which means you're going to be able to open stuff with other apps, which is, I think, taking us... Yeah, I think that makes the OS a lot more powerful than it is now. It it does, but I'm I'm not sure a huge number of people are going to use it very much. In all honesty, yeah. Partic- particularly less techie users. Um, I mean, I, I I've got it on my Mac. Um, I use the Pages bit, mm-hmm. but I don't put any other files in there. I don't see any need to, personally. I put an awful lot of stuff into my um text edit iCloud folder. Ah, right. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but you're doing a lot more sort of technical sort of stuff. I am, <laughs> yes. I have a basically I have a bunch of markdowns. When I'm on the Mac I'm using Markdown Pro, but I save it in text edits uh folder because that way I can grab it when I'm at work and I can grab it from my iPhone and I can grab it everywhere. So yeah. I, I what I love about this is that the thing iOS has had that's made it easier for humans to use than any other computer is that there is no file system exposed to the user and that made power users cranky but everyone else on the planet very very happy because people find file systems confusing and now it's 100% optional but for those of us geeky enough there is now a beginnings of a file system on iOS and I I think that's the best of both worlds it's 100% optional no one has to know it but for some of us, it will make life a lot easier. Yeah, agreed. Oh, sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Vic. Go ahead, Steve. No, I was just going to say, think back to the early days of iOS. We all complained that we weren't able to hit that level uh, and be able to see, fi- you know, that, that hmm. the actual file system. It's it's funny. What like what is it? Seven years later now, I think something. What well, must be eight years, right? Right, Since almost eight years. Nine. Okay, but think about that. It, it's I'm glad it finally got to this point. And, and you're absolutely right. By making it optional, people that could care less about it don't even have to look at it. They're not going to be confused by it. And those of us that need access to it, it's finally there without workarounds or jailbreaking or any of that other kind of stuff. Yeah. I think a lot of these features, features like this uh, Drive app, uh, features like multitasking on iPads, uh, things like that, to me, point the way 
towards we used to always say that um, the iPad especially was a consumption device. So our iPhones are a consumption mm. device. I, I think Apple is definitely moving the iPad to being a creative device where you can do your stuff. And I think an iPad Pro is inevitable. It'll, <laughs> it'll, it'll happen. And uh, it features like this in my gut tell me that they're going to be moving towards that direction as well, uh, so you won't be able to do them with all your iOS devices, but those that have all the bits, wow, you're almost going to have a, a, a laptop level device available to you in the future, I think. Well, I think the multitasking features combined with this feature do very strongly hint at a more, yeah, closer to a real computer iPad, which I'm looking forward to immensely. I've been looking forward to it for years, though. It may it may eventually happen. I hope it's not like your television, Victor. Yes. <laughs> I hope so, too. Um, before we move off iOS 9, one feature I definitely want to hit on, because it's causing a little bit of controversy with some. It, I mean, Apple have made iOS... Apps are very much sort of controlled much more than they are in OS 10 because Apple started off by saying apps can do nothing and then are slowly adding APIs to allow apps to do more things in a controlled way which keeps security way tighter than it could ever be in a desktop are one of those new APIs to allow apps to do something they couldn't do before is the ability to define content filters for Safari so it's effectively a new type of web browser plugin which allows content filtering, a.k.a. content blocking, on iOS. And some people who make their living out of obnoxious advertisements, and I mean really obnoxious advertisements, are panicking about this, thinking that this is about ad blockers for iOS and it's the end of the internet and nothing will ever be free again and doom, 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 doom. Um, Whereas other people I've been reading about have been saying, well, actually, it's a lot more about improving performance and stuff by not rendering stuff that you, it's just wasting your time. So I'm curious what people think about this somewhat controversial API. I don't think we care. No, uh-huh. you know what? It It's, you know, I mean, it was the same argument with ad blockers on the desktop. You know, you're in one hand, it's annoying, just like, listen, just like commercials and TV shows. It's, mm. uh, you know, but okay, so there's one one hand, somebody's making money from it. On the other hand, if it's not something I'm interested in, I want to be able to not see it or skip it or fast forward through it. So, it's, again, this is one of those kind of wait and see things to see one, how well it works, um, how advertisers work their kind of way around this that you do end up you know okay if it blocks this type of ad is it not going to block this type of ad on you know ios safari and there's there's always that kind of competition i guess you could almost say you know the ad blocker versus the actual ad source um so I don't know. Again, it's going to be a wait and see kind of thing just to see. I, I mean, looking at the bigger picture, I think it's kind of cool that Apple is allowing those kind of extensions or plugins into Safari. And again, it, it pointing towards, you know, your iPad becoming more and more. I mean, I use my iPad nine out of the 10 times when I need to do some kind of computing hmm. type work. It's constantly with me when I'm home. I've got my iPhone when I'm out of the house. 
Um, but real, like I, I mean, really short of any kind of heavy duty computing power when I need to sit in front of the Mac, I do it on the iPad. So knowing that they're looking this way to maybe start allowing some more of these type of things to happen again by doing these kind of APIs, again, initially starting with that content blocking API, who knows where they're going to go from or allow into uh, Safari. My personal take is that this could be very useful, not for blocking ads, because I actually don't have an interest in blocking ads. I don't, I don't mind ads. If a site has obnoxious ads, I will go elsewhere for my right, right. my pleasure, and I will simply vote with my mouse, I guess, or with my finger in the case of iOS. But what I am interested in is blocking these trackers, which are trying to follow us around the internet and trying to join up our activities across multiple sites, because. I don't think that's morally acceptable to be following me around the net like that and trying to piece together my activities. And so I actually really do want that blocked. And I think that that fits well with Apple's views on privacy. So I, mm-hmm. I say, give me a way to block the tracking. By all means, show me the ads. I'm not trying to deny anyone a living. So that's my personal take anyway. It's a great point. And yeah. um, in the U.S. here, we have uh, the Internet service providers uh, – you know, trying to use mm. these trackers, and it's just a holy mess. You know, yeah. I hope they, they get shut down hard. Uh, you don't get to follow me on the Internet if I don't want you to, a period. You know, it's I, I pay for your service. You're not giving me anything. So, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm in danger of ending up on a bit of a soapbox here, but what the hey. <laughs> It's your show. Go ahead. That's true, actually. Yeah. <laughs> no, one of the things that always annoys me, and it, it, we had a little bit of it in this conversation as well. Not, not here on the panel. I mean, in the the internet's discussion about these blockers, um, people seem to conflate tracking and advertising, and I think it's actually that the ad industry has succeeded in making this lie become accepted fact. If you block tracking, you block ads absolute garbage right your radio does not track you and yet last time i checked there were a lot of ads there making a lot of money for a lot of people your television does not track you strangely enough it's full of advertisements so there's no reason the internet cannot also work that way you target the advertisement based on what the website is providing not based on who's visiting it's actually the same information at the end of the day if you're on an astronomy website you're interested in astronomy if you're on a mac website you're interested in mac stuff that's all you need to know to advertise on me stop spying on me had enough there we go hey, Done now. <laughs> no, i think that's that's right uh we have a company out here um AT&T is actually in the one gigabit uh, product that they uh, are advertising and announcing wow. for only certain markets. They are actually charging more if you do not allow uh, this tracking mechanism oh. with this total BS and uh, a total abuse of their power as an ISP. Um, so that is very disappointing, and I hope that gets... Uh, shut down quickly because I don't need that privilege for you to be able to give me what will be a commodity within a matter of a year or two. I can mm-hmm. simply choose to move to another company if that's what, if that's what you're going to do. I, 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 yeah. The, the problem I guess in America is that a lot of people have no choice of, of who their provider is. In some places you just, there is just one large internet provider. Right. Right. Yes, that is, that is a, for rural areas and certain types of service, that is certainly the case, and it's a shame. But for areas 
that um, the pipes are fat enough for them to be able to, uh, to allow one gigabit. Certainly, there are plenty of options and uh, people should be looking at them before agreeing to give your privacy away for the privilege of having uh, speeds that in other parts of the world are nominal, you know, so. I love that I can say that on a podcast now, by the way. <laughs> I spent years suffering at five megabits, and now that I have 120, I feel very different about the world. It really does change things. Anyway, any other thoughts on iOS before we move on to the next section of the keynote? I have to say, looking at your notes that you've got, uh, Bart, mm-hmm. the best bit of that story is where you got it from, com. What a superb name. Yeah, it is actually, isn't it? <laughs> he also has good points, actually. That's a link in the show notes I would recommend people follow. Um, he makes some very good points in there. Um, moving on to the next thing, which is obviously we now have a third major Apple OS, which is WatchOS. And we are on WatchOS 2 already, which for a device that's out a few months and not yet available in the country I'm speaking to you from, that's quite impressive. Uh, basically, developers get to develop for just about everything that little device can do. They get to make little complications. They get to access all the sensors. They, yeah, they basically get to do everything that Apple's apps can do on the watch OS. Um, I actually, does someone who has a watch have some thoughts on this? Because I'm just, I, I'm very cranky about the whole Apple watch topic because Ireland isn't on the list of second countries, third countries. In fact, the Irish website doesn't even acknowledge the existence of the Apple watch, which means we're probably not getting it in 2015. So I'm just generally cranky on Apple Watch. So I guess our, actually everyone on this panel but me can buy an Apple Watch. Grr. I think one of the best examples is in the inability today to be able to play podcasts uh, or have podcasts on the watch itself without having the phone with you. Uh, mm. This will allow applications uh, like Overcast to be able to, you know, within the limits of what it can store. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want the music there. I want my three podcasts. Allison will be thrilled. She can go take her jog and not yes. have her phone. So that's one example of many. But I watched several of the WWDC sessions on Apple uh, Watch um, design and architecture. And the thing that was emphasized over and over again by the presenters to the developers were keep it simple. The watch is not an iPhone and it's not meant to duplicate function of the phone. So that's the approach they're taking. That's where they've seen um, mistakes or misses in some of the uh, version one OS apps that they have seen where developers have simply tried to copy all functionality. Uh, That's not the case. And boy, they really were uh, just repeating that as a mantra. This is a very short burst delivery mechanism. If you use it that way, you'll have successful apps, standalone apps. If you don't, you're going to run into some problems with um, things like transferring data through the network, caching too much data into the watch, where they have provided APIs that let you do just-in-time grabs of just the data that is required for the next 12 seconds, for example. Okay, I've just had a look at the uh, clock, and I've realized that we have a lot more to talk about. So I'm going to rush us through the next few bits. Apple Pay 
it's doing very well. It's coming to Discovery uh, or Discovery or whatever that name of that funny credit card is we don't have in Europe. And it's coming to the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland in July, which is about now-ish. Um, and that's, I guess, as much as we need to say about that for now. Apple News. How do people... How how important do people on the panel feel this is? I'm trying to figure out whether we should spend time on it or move on. I, d- I think we should wait and see. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound like anything new. Mm. So it sounds like we've got this in lots of different forms. This just sounds like the same again, pretty much. But perhaps not. Perhaps, as uh, as Victor said, perhaps we should wait and see. I get, yeah. It, it may, yeah, when we have it, when we have it to play with, we may realise that it does something nothing else does yet. But right now, I didn't find myself going, ooh, brilliant, I really wanted that. I found going, oh. <laughs> no, normally. The only thing I'm worried about with Apple News is its curation element uh, and the fact that uh, I think Apple, if I understand correctly, are choosing to have or have the ability to have certain things be curated um, or uh, or maybe that's the wrong word. They, they are choosing to have Daring Fireball as one of the defaults in the yeah. app, for example. And um, so that could be a slippery slope based upon who's doing the curation and so on. But I don't know enough about this app to be able to speak intelligently about it. Yeah, it's a wait and see one, I guess. Yep. Uh, a very, very quick one, just to say, I think everyone on the panel gives two thumbs up to this. Swift has gone open source. Two thumbs up, or six right. thumbs up. So oh, thank you, definitely. Eight thumbs up. There's four of us here. So <laughs> let us then move on to... The part of the keynote which made the least sense but is probably the most news, which is Apple Music. Um, I've had my say. I've had my say (laughs) on the Mac Roundtable about how awful I thought the introduction was. So we'll take it as read they didn't do the keynote very well. Um, The thing is now real. Um, It launched a few days ago now in some countries. So I guess we should say so it's a three-parter. It's a three-parter. A streaming music service, a bunch of radio stations, and this thing called Connect, which is sort of a social network for musicians, but a kind of a unidirectional social network. It's all about the musicians and not really about us, the average end user. Um, I mean, I'm just trying to figure out how we talk about a topic so big. Um, maybe we should get the hard bit out of the way first, right? So the whole internet has exploded about DRM. So maybe we should address that little little doozy first. Right. So there is a link in the show notes to an article from iMore, which is the most sane and actually useful discussion I have seen on this topic on the whole internet. So it's it's the iMore link. It's in the show notes. And basically they explain what is and what isn't DRM'd and why things are the way they are. So the bottom line is that this cloud music service isn't a backup of your Mac. So it's not iTunes Match, right? So what happens is if you download stuff from this streaming music service, it is obviously DRM'd. Otherwise, the streaming music service becomes a piracy music service. If you have stuff that you have bought from Apple in the past, it will be available to you from this streaming service. Again, it will be DRM'd. If you take files of your own... You can also make them available to you on all of your devices. And when they go up into the cloud, they will come back down in a DRM. or They will come back down as they were, so they won't be DRM'd. But if you bought stuff in the iTunes store, it will be DRM'd. And 
this sounds like a terrible thing, except for the fact that it doesn't touch what's on your Mac at all. That stays on your Mac. And if you, the only time this will cause you a problem, so the only way this would break your music collection is if you turned on the uh, iCloud library, let it upload all of your stuff, and then deleted everything from your Mac. You would, at that point, have painted yourself into a DRM black hole because as soon as you stop your Apple Music subscription, you would lose access to all of your music. But the reason for that is because you deleted all of your music, so don't do that. I think that... Well, as I say, the link is in the show notes, but I think that is as best as I can understand it. Yes, and that actually... That's funny, that article kind of... I even saved that article myself because I'm like, all right, that actually makes sense because everything else I was reading, mostly negative, mm-hmm. um, but... There are a number of people that I've, you know, people that we know, you know, from our Apple podcasting circle and Mm -hmm. just random articles out there that people are stating they did everything correct. But all of a sudden, any music that they had under match, iTunes match, is now some way, somehow DRM and connected to Apple Music. That they didn't even do, you know what I'm saying? They they Mm. just said, yes, sure, I'll use Apple Music. I'll sign up for my three months. And then all of a sudden they either – they not either. They had playlists disappear. When the playlists reappeared, it, it seemed like there was this whole syncing process going on. But instead of coming back as matched, it was actually coming back as music that appeared to have been purchased through your Apple Music subscription. I, I think th- one of the things that's definitely going on is that there are some bugs. Right, right. And so I think what's happening is that there are some bugs and people are assuming that there's some sort of attempt by Apple to DRM all of your music. And I don't, I think there are, I think there are separate things. I think there are some bugs and there is some confusion around the DRM. And I don't think it is as bad as a lot of, you know, I don't think what, what some people think is happening is happening. It's, it's right, highly it's, confusing though. Like, I'm yes, not it's, so- I, no, I was just going to say, it's not big, bad Apple DRMing. No, that's definitely not, you, you made that point and that's not the point I'm, debating it's that yeah there are some bugs here and there are some really strange things happening with people's music yeah i'm not surprised people are confused though because (laughs) you would have thought that if it was a cloud service which is what it sounds like Hmm. that you ought to be able to put all your music up there and still own it but that's what itunes matches for right so this is actually a streaming service i I, I agree but i but i also think that 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 is very confusing for the public. I agree with you. I think everything to do with Apple Music is very confusing for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> From the moment they announced it to, to now, I continue to be perpetually confused. I mean, but it's not like we haven't had uh, Apple Stream, excuse me, streaming services there for a long time. We have. Uh, this is just giving some different options for people who have uh, different use cases and and. I, I know that there have been issues with iTunes on the Mac OS for sure, where things have gone squirrely. I think those will be sorted out. Um, but I, I don't think that if I looked at my library right now, Apple have gone in and replaced the files that I had that were non DRM with DRM files, unless I specifically did never buy that piece of music and I've downloaded it through the streaming service. Yeah, and so I guess the big difference with the streaming service is that it's not just from... Like, Apple have allowed you to stream music you own using either just stuff from the store or iTunes Match, but now you can stream, like, 
all the music in the world. So you're in a Spotify sort of way, you're buying into music you haven't, you're renting access to music you haven't actually bought. So th- I guess that's why it's different to any that we have before. Yep. But it is all very confusing. So the other thing, of course, then are radio stations. And they've gone kind of pleasantly old school with this. Like it's, it's not some automated thing where a computer is picking some stuff to put it in a stream. It's like actual DJs of high quality, poached from the BBC among other places. And there's like a website telling you how to request songs. And there's like a, you know, a timetable of this hour we're doing this and this hour we're going to be doing that. So that at least is not confusing. That's, that, that's something we all understand. It's a proper radio station, but it's in our electronic world. So that I guess mm-hmm. I understand. And then there's this connect contraption, which is a sort of a way for musicians to give us sneak peeks at stuff that isn't really a final product they're selling, but they can still, you know, share pictures and videos and samples and bits and bobs with people. Didn't they try this once before? Didn't iTunes have something like this built in? And I can't remember the name. Ping. Ping. Thank you. Ping. Oh, I should have. Right. I mean, I mean, it's like, wait. I think we've been here before. But no, but Ping was different because Ping was about us as regular people building up a community amongst ourselves and the musicians could play too. But this is the originating with musicians and then down to us. Yeah, we folk. don't get to share with each other, right? So gotcha. I can't do anything on Connect. I can follow artists, but I can't share with you guys. And with gotcha, Ping... Gotcha. The idea was that we would connect because we shared a taste in music and we could see what each other was buying and that kind of stuff. So Ping was about us and Connect is about them. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, I, think I could see Connect pinging off into the distance at some point. Yeah, it, it pinged on into the, into the distance about an hour and a half after I got it. Um, I had high hopes for this when Apple announced it at WWDC and then I saw it and it was like, wait... Um, artists have plenty of ways to connect with their massive audiences already. They do not need this specific one. I understand that Apple is saying that as the discovery method, especially for new artists, this is a great way for the artist to communicate with the audience, kind of like in an Indiegogo way or something, and have this communication method. But these artists don't need that. They have Facebook, they have Twitter, um, and they have many of social media ways to do that. Thank goodness they gave us a way to turn this off uh, on settings. And that to me is an indicator that they also don't believe in it fully either. Yeah. Maybe it'll take off. Maybe it will be proved wrong, but I don't have high hopes. Yeah, when I saw... um, Avril Lavigne was the only artist out of every artist in my music library. And that one happened to be because I bought it for my son. (laughs) I had, that was the only artist. I tried to look for some of my buds, Pat Metheny, you know, the jazz guys I listened to. Forget it. Those guys aren't in there uh, trying to promote their music and they're not going to be. When it comes to the radio station, if I can get on a tiny soapbox for a second, Boy, did this 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 ever prove to me that I'm an old dude? I couldn't listen to ten seconds of <laughs> Beat One. It, it has nothing to do with my musical taste, and I'm not going to request and expect 
groovy dooby dude to play me a Larry Carlton song when I request it through the <laughs> webpage. It ain't going to happen, folks. It's going to happen if I request Taylor Swift or something. So if they add stations to the model that fit old dudes like me, great. But for now, ah, beat it. <laughs> I don't think it's aimed at us, Victor. <laughs> no. No. Okay, well, uh, you've mentioned Taylor Swift, so I'll use that as a segue. <laughs> so, Apple are giving everyone three months for free, which is great. But Apple weren't really doing that on their own dime. Apple had this notion that the artists also shouldn't be paid for those three months. And in exchange, they were giving them a 71 or 72% cut instead of a 70% cut. And... My As soon as I heard about this, my brain went, that's not fair. Like, I, I just I immediately had a visceral reaction of, this isn't fair. You, Apple, are trying to encourage people to buy your service. That should be on your dime, not the bloody artists. And um, I wasn't the only one who thought like that. Taylor Swift, with much more reason to think so, being an artist, also thought so and wrote an open letter to Apple, which... Um, was very effective very quickly and had um, Eddie Q taking the Twitter was in, what, 24 hours or so, saying, yeah, okay, we got you, yeah, they, we'll, we'll pay the artists. And he did say in an interview afterwards that it helped solidify Apple's thinking. And as best as I can interpret that, and this is, I don't know anything, obviously, I'm just sort of making an educated guess, but it sounds to me like those are two points of view within Apple. And when Taylor Swift came on board, one side won the argument. Yeah, I felt very strongly about this. Wrote a blog post about it as a former professional musician. I was like, there's no way that they're doing this. Mm. Uh, th this is so wrong and at every level uh, not to pay artists for their work. Um, oh, you know, if, if they were going to use the exposure clause, I was taught a long time ago in the music business that there is a point where exposure ends and exploitation begins. Well, and, as, uh, as, as a friend of mine likes <laughs> to say, you cannot go down to the supermarket and buy your dinner with exposure. Yeah. So good on them for making the right decision. Uh, I highly doubt Taylor Swift made the whole difference, but I'm glad she wrote what she wrote. It was yeah. dead on point. And it was, was the right thing for Apple to do, period. Yes. Uh, I mean, I I hope that the money does go to the artists, and not you mean just, not the labels? Yeah, not not just get sucked up by it, and you know, and the artists still get almost nothing, because if that's the case, then Taylor Swift's fought for nothing really. Well, but the artists decide to sign with a label or not, and they know often well, what they're it, getting into or wasn't not. Wasn't it the labels that agreed with Apple that? For the three-month thing. Except for yeah. the indie labels. The indie labels were on Taylor Swift's side on this. And the indie yeah, labels right. were withholding from Apple Music. Right up until the point where Apple Music caved in on this. And then all of the indies came on board with Apple Music. I can Music. understand the independent labels wanted. Yeah, that's fair enough. And so, the big labels were um, incorrect to go along with Apple's plan on doing this. They were not looking out for the artists, but... Oh, that's a revelation. The indie <laughs> levels have not been looking out for artists since the 1940s. <laughs> yes. When is your life? What, what, what on earth was that in the background? <laughs> I don't know. You know what happened? I went to one of your links. I apologize. And there was a darn video playing at the top of it. And it <laughs> oh, I hate that. on my iPad. You got to be kidding me. I went to that 14 more music at 
more 14 more Apple Music tips. It's the computer world link. Mm-hmm. Because that's the actually that's the one I hadn't looked at yet, and I clicked on it, and right at the top there's a darn video playing. Oh, that's annoying! I'm like, it didn't happen to me. Got got to be kidding that me! I feel <laughs> exactly. There you go. Bring it yeah, on. QED. <laughs> so, oh, sorry about that. some other little bits and bobs we definitely want to throw in here. So, there is no Sonos support yet. So, if you are now a Beats user, you can use Beats on your Sonos. And if you convert your Beats account into an Apple Music account, your Sonos will stop working. So you should stay put where you are for another couple of months until soon, which is when there will be Apple Music support on Sonos. So that's something for anyone who uses Sonos players. Um, Let me see what else do I think we definitely have to mention here. So as Steve hinted, there is a section in the show notes called Useful Apple Music Links, which contains... It's just a sample of the links I found that I thought were good. You know, what you need to know about Apple Music from the Mac Observer, Apple Music FAQ from iMore, and 14 more Apple Music tips from Computer World with a naughty video that plays for some people. Um, What else have we got? So we all got new apps. Um, So iTunes 12.2 gives us Apple Music on our Macs and Windows PCs, if we have any of those. And iOS 8.4 gives us Apple Music on our iOS devices. And an interesting side effect of the upgrade to 8.4 is that audiobooks are no longer classified as music. They now sit in iBooks on your iOS devices, which probably makes infinitely more sense. So I listened to a lot of audiobooks, and as soon as I opened up the music app, a little pop-up came up and saying, audiobooks are now in iBooks. I thought, well, that's very clever of you. Well done. (laughs) So Um, I think it's fair to say, for me personally... Mm -hmm. I probably won't be using Apple Music very much at all. Um, I'm not really interested in streaming stuff. Um, I've I, my, my, my tastes are mostly classical music, uh, and I get plenty of that through uh, a, a channel in the UK called Classic FM. Which um, have iPhone apps, don't they? They, they do actually, and they're they're doing their own um, their own uh, digital service called uh, what is, what's it called now? Um, Oh, I've forgotten. I've forgotten. Anyway, they're doing their own streaming service of sorts. Um, but I can't see myself um, signing up to Apple Music, I don't think. Well, living in Ireland, I don't even have to make the choice. Oh, poor bar. I, I'm, I'm getting very cranky about this second-class citizen status I've been suffering of late. It's making me very annoyed. Anyway, um, a certain amount of schadenfreude perhaps but there's another news story related to Taylor Swift and fairness that I I do think we should kind of mention because I know Taylor Swift is seen as a hero on this because well she was right but um, her own photography contracts are not right her own photography contracts are deeply unfair to the point that the Irish Times made a point of this by boycotting her Dublin concert this week so they had a news story explaining why there were no photographs in their news story about Taylor Swift. Basically, she said that a photographer can use the picture once and then the rights become hers forever, which is colossally unfair on photographers who are also artists. So I think she needs to read her own letter, apply it to photography, and then carry on. <laughs> I agree. I agree. She didn't say that the copyright belongs to her, but the right to publish does, so... What the hell is the difference at that point? Right. Uh, so, yeah, she needs to uh, eat her own dog food. Yeah. So the Irish Times basically said, as a newspaper, we could never possibly sign that contract. 
you know, we need to be able to use this photo again in two years' time. We need to be able to use this photo again in our archives in ten years' time. We need to be able to use this photo forever. It's our photo. So, yeah, they basically said we couldn't possibly sign that. Have I left anything important out? I'm trying to scan my own show notes. I should. I guess I'll mention it briefly. But uh, the bloody service hadn't launched yet, and the Attorney Generals of New York and Connecticut thought they'd get themselves some good news time by starting an investigation, just in cases like e-books or something. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, they know how to get on the telly. That's all I can say. So have I forgotten anything, guys? Or are we music doubt? I mean, you know, I think we're, we might be music doubt. I mean, I think our discussion of the new iTunes could be an entire show. So I wish it was to... new. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the same kind of complaints about iTunes that we've probably been making over numerous shows, numerous years. Um, but yeah, we'll just leave it at that. I think everybody kind of knows what our opinion of iTunes is. Yeah, I think it's been the same since I started podcasting. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Break up this monolith <laughs> of an app and make it not suck. Oh. Okay, well, from Apple Music, we get to go on to the Confederate flag. <laughs> oh, dearie me, the topics we have to cover. Um, okay, so obviously there was a tragic shooting in America. Um, there are a lot of shootings in America, but this one was ex- extra horrific. And the shooter was a racist. And he used many symbols, including the apartheid South Africa flag and what is commonly called the Confederate flag. Although, if you're going to read history and stuff, it's actually not the Confederate flag. But, okay, let's leave that aside. Um, Tim Cook responded with a very heartfelt view that we should not have symbols and words that feed racism. And I don't think that's particularly controversial you know that we shouldn't do that and a lot of american retailers started to remove the confederate flag symbol from you know if they sold t-shirts with that with that flag on it or whatever they would remove those from the store and apple also felt they should clean up their store so apple removed all apps which contain the so-called confederate flag including in civil war games and Basically, Apple may have overdone it to the point that a lot of people are now cranky at Apple. And I guess the question is, what is the right answer in this kind of a difficult situation? Does anyone, I guess particularly our American contributors, have any, any thoughts on this rather delicate issue? It's it's a gut reaction. I mean, for what it symbolizes in this country, it amazes me that it was still being flown I didn't know that I didn't know it was still being flown over state houses in the south I I think not see I seeing it at full staff because the state the state equivalent of congress passed a law about what the flag couldn't couldn't do and one of the things you weren't allowed to do is put the bloody thing at half mast I think that opened some eyes yeah right so you have that I think the 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 this kind of gut reaction that Apple had with pulling the apps which Seemed a little strange to me because, again, if you're talking historical apps, mm. that's one thing. that That's part of our history. They're not going to go through and start ripping the photos of that flag out of history books. It's part of our history. It wasn't a very uh, uh, enriching time in our history. It wasn't a very bright spotlight in our history, but it was part of our history. Um 
but that's to me that's just like everything else i mean it, it's funny somebody uh, again this might have been a facebook post or something or a blog but look at it this way we have when you're flying somewhere because somebody tried blowing up a plane with a shoe bomb we take our shoes off at the tsa checkpoints forever but yet yeah. forever but yet since columbine the, the big high school shooting here there's been i think a two dozen almost two dozen serious school shootings and nothing's being done about that really hmm. you know so it, it it's very odd in this country and again for somebody who's lived there my entire life how we pick and choose what we're going to do and yeah. it all comes down to not to turn into a political show here but it does it all comes down into the lobbyists and which country uh, which company has the most money to support or which organization can support certain laws being passed or not passed in our government. I'm going to go to everybody had a chance to get on their soapbox. I'm getting off mine now. <laughs> but um, again, uh, you know, even even in the articles that we've read and you even have it in the show notes, too, mm -hmm. that a lot of these apps that were pulled and I know I'm jumping around, but these apps that were pulled that did have the Confederate flag, quote unquote, um, are now starting to come back on again. It was a gut reaction. Now, this is the first time this has happened with the app store. Hmm. I know we've talked about this a number of different times when something like this has happened um, previously where apps were pulled. Like when I, I remember conversations on the Mac round table about this yeah. where then Apple goes, Ooh, we kind of jumped the gun here. Sorry. And we'll start um, rolling it out as far as the bigger issue and the Confederate flag. I mean, there's definitely a bigger issue here than just apps and what it symbol and what that flag symbolizes. Um, you know, and probably discussion for people, you know, smarter than I am. But it's just, uh, yeah. Again, it's a gut reaction. It's like, well, they're talking about the shooting, but and a flag and the symbol, but we're not talking about guns. So let's go figure that one yeah, out. Steve. So. I agree with you. It was a gut reaction. I was really upset by it at first, especially knowing uh, teachers that are friends of ours that use these applications as historical teaching methods. Right. And um, to pull all the content was just way an overreaction. I mean, uh, my argument to Tim Cook was would have been, are you also going to remove every street in the South that is named after a Confederate soldier? Or, or general. everything called after General Lee. Exactly. So I'm glad that they kind of came to their senses and said, no, no, we're talking about hate, hate speech here. The use of the flag as a symbol of hate or racism specifically right. and not historical context. When they did that, then I was like, OK, cool. Uh, once again, you came to your senses. Um, Apple is making some very abrupt decisions these days that are. Um, perhaps a little too emotional and they need to step back and, and, and look at all of the implications uh, before they just pull the trigger. Yeah, because there's a very big difference between a T-shirt, which, you know, you can understand Walmart saying, OK, maybe we don't want racist flags on T-shirts. And I don't think anyone's going to have an argument with them about that. But there's a big difference with that and a Civil War game where you have the, you know, the flag of the United States of America representing one side and... The historically correct flag, because what people call the Confederate flag is actually the Confederate battle flag. So yep. in a Civil War battle simulator, that is actually the only correct flag to put over 
half of the players in that game. And it doesn't, it's not racist. That's, that is what the battle was between. It was between people with the black, you know, red background with the blue diagonals and the white stars versus the guys with the red, white, and blue. So this is the, this is the problem, isn't it? When symbols become associated with something else. horrible uh, or some, something tragic it, it is that for a while it's going to be difficult because that symbol, I mean, I'm sure there were an awful lot of swastikas burnt at the end of the Second World War and no one ever wanted to see them again. But but they did, and we had war films, and do you know what I mean? It's it's a matter of Castle time. Castle Wolfenstein, computer yeah, games, you know. That's yeah. right, and it's, and it's a matter of time and healing and all those sort of things. Um, I think you have to be really careful with symbols. I mean, what happens if someone did something really awful and wore uh, an Apple T-shirt when he did it? Would that mean that Apple could no longer use the Apple logo? Oh, it, yeah. oh, it's very it's hard, isn't it? Because uh, it's okay, Ireland is a good example, right? So we have the tricolour, which your average Irish person would say does not represent terrorism. But the IRA tried to make it represent that. Right. Now, thankfully, there were more of us fighting the other way. So the end result is that on average, the Irish tricolour is not associated with murder. But it could have been if history had been. been a bit different. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah. So where do you draw the line? Yeah, that's right. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think you perhaps know. I think perhaps Apple did the right thing at the time, and, and as um, as Victor said, if they're now creeping back in again, perhaps that's uh, the right thing too. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't like the impulse to rewrite history. I, I like the impulse to prevent racism, but I don't yeah. like rewriting history. I yeah, don't like the fact speak. that some mm. some television shows re-edited their opening scene to remove the Twin Towers because it might offend someone. Those towers were beautiful. They stood for a couple yeah. of decades. Why rub them out of history? Yeah, right. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, the American Civil War happened. Don't rub it out. That's not an appropriate response. And again, think... this is overall uh, this is overall indicative of what happens a lot or seems to be happening a lot more in this country, that you're looking, again, they're pointing at the symbol as opposed to pointing at or looking at the problem. real problem. Yeah. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Where, again, it's this whole smoke and mirrors thing where let's really have a serious discussion about racism. No, we're going to talk about this flag that, you know, had some kind of historical – well, not some kind of. It had – I uh-huh. mean it had historical significance. Well, it has two historical significances, unfortunately. Right. It has its original use during the Civil War and then it was adopted by the – by those people fighting against the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s. Correct, correct. So there's that, and it was still around. I mean, it was still flying on flagpoles, and nobody had a problem with it until this situation. So I don't think no one had a problem with it. I think you'll find a lot of people... Right, but... A lot of people had a problem with it. (laughs) Yeah, but you didn't... I, I don't ever remember hearing people protesting it in the news until this. Strangely enough, Steve, I do. Really? Okay. And maybe it's because we're looking at it from the outside and we're looking at it going, oh, my God, you people are fighting over that. <laughs> but I, I, I remembered, uh, I mean, it was about a decade ago when there was a big comp- compromise to remove the flag from the Capitol Dome and to put it at the War Memorial instead. And that stuff made news over here in Ireland, that kind of stuff. Or maybe it made my news. Maybe, maybe I'm the weirdo. But it, no, no, I, I was think, aware I of it. I don't think so necessarily. I mean, maybe it was something that just really didn't register with me, but... 
like I said, seeing the you know, of course, the news stories that came out of this, where what stopped me in my tracks was one that it's still being flown in you know southern capital uh, buildings, mm-hmm. and two that was the discussion and not racism. Racism yeah. was the secondary thing. I'm like, uh, wait a second. It's called, yeah. Steve, it's called political misdirection. That's, yes, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, what also, I mean, what I also think needs bearing in mind is that there are still five U.S. states which have Confederate imagery in their official state flag. Yes, and if yep. you're if you're a, a black person living in that state, that cannot be comfortable. I, I don't think that makes people yeah. happy. So, that's probably a much bigger problem than a war game in the App Store. Yes, <laughs> yes, yep. I think it probably is. Yes. Okay, now that we've solved world peace. <laughs> Next, <laughs> I mean, I, I think we had to talk about it, and I, I'm I'm, oh, I'm sure. thankful to everyone on the panel that we were able to have a very civilized. I hope no one is offended by what we've said, but I, I think we've had an adult conversation on it. Mm-hmm. So let us move on to the, the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Every year they do a report called the Who Has Your Back report. And the purpose of this report isn't to discuss what the companies themselves do with your data. So this is not a Facebook versus Apple kind of a thing. This is about how the companies respond to requests for data from governments. So in other words, does the company have your back? They can be as creepy as they want internally, but do they have your back from the government is really what this whole thing is about. It's a very simple report. They, uh, the EFF basically decided that if you make it simple, people will pay attention. So there are five categories. If you are good enough in the category, you get a star. If you're not, you do not. And so if you're doing things well, you get five stars. And if you're terrible, you get no stars. And Apple, yet again, a five-star company. And this has been the case every time we've reported on this. Apple have always been a five-star company, as long as I can remember. Uh, Microsoft and Google are three-star companies. And, um, oh, what's that bloody thing everyone uses to, instead of text messaging these days that is full of security holes every week that I do on Security on um, security Light with Alice? What is it, Snapchat? No, no, not that. Oh. No, uh, the one that's not for showing nude parts of your body. Um WhatsApp, I think. It got, oh, yeah. it got a special mention as being absolutely awful. So, you know, again, the EFF report is nice, and, you know, I don't think anyone's going to say anything bad, you know, has anything but, okay, good. But it, I, I decided to lump it into the show notes in one topic because there was also two other things happened that are very much related this month. So the first is that very early in the month, Tim Cook gave... Well, everyone described it as a blistering speech, so let's just describe it as a blistering speech on privacy, where I think sort of the key quote would be, weakening encryption harms good people. And he really did hammer the point home. And then also later in the month, Edward Snowden did, I can't remember if it was an interview or an opinion piece for one of the major American newspapers, where he made the argument that consumers should use their money to make it profitable for Apple to support your privacy. So basically, he said that Apple were a pioneering company in terms of their approach to privacy and that they should be supported in that with your wallet because if it's profitable to protect your privacy, then more companies will protect your privacy. And he basically said it doesn't matter if Tim Cook is doing the right thing because he's a good guy. He's doing the right thing. Therefore, you should support his company with your wallet. So any any thoughts? I, I couldn't totally agree, agree more. with yeah. uh, Mr. Snowden on this. 
uh, he should know. Well, that was easy. <laughs> I guess there's really no one is going to argue the other point on that, is there? <laughs> We're all of a similar mind. So let, let's move into just some quick stories to round out the show, because we, we are going for quite a wee while. Uh, last month, we had a big discussion about Discovery D and the, that it looked like it was going to die a much-needed death. iOS 10.10.4 has come out. Discovery D is dead. Ding dong, the witch is dead. We are now back to good old MDNS Responder, and with it, 300 bugs have been squashed in Apple's bug tracker. Also, for those of you using third-party SSDs, trim support can now be enabled on those SSDs. If you don't know what that means, don't matter. It doesn't matter. You probably don't need to know. If you do know what it means, you're probably celebrating. So, um, Apple staffing changes. Lisa Jackson has been... Do you call it a promotion when you're still a VP, but you have more things to be VP of? I guess it's called an opportunity in in uh, business. I think an opportunity <laughs> is that not what they call it when they make your yes, life worse? A, yeah. So uh, Lisa Jackson, she came from a government role in the. In, I think she was EPA, wasn't she? I think she was head of the EPA before she came to Apple. Anyway, she has been Apple's VP for the environment for some time now and seems to be doing quite a good job at that. So she now has some extra responsibility. She's now the VP for Environment, Policy and Social Initiatives. And Apple have also put up the new staff bios, which show, rather to everyone's surprise, that the new VP of UI Design, Alan Dye, and the new VP of Industrial Design, Richard Howarth, are not reporting to the new... Chief Design Officer Johnny Ive, they report to Tim Cook. So, that just seems a bit weird to me. And anyone have any insight? Because I'm not, I'm not, I don't work in corporate America, so, Victor, you, you may have more insight into whether or not we should read too much into that. Well, I think it goes along with the change that uh, Johnny Ive just made. Um, and, and I think the reporting structures being set up, such as, you know, Johnny's role is very specific and um, he'll be working closely with those types of folks. But I think them reporting to Tim uh, really makes more sense over, overall, if you will, from, from a reporting structure. Uh, that also may have something to do with how Johnny Ive wants to be uh, depicted in uh, some of the legal documents that have to be disclosed uh, because they're a created stock. And uh, as probably everybody knows, it's always been deep, dark secret that his information about salary and so on appears nowhere in uh, those documents. So if he has too many reports, he has to be reported? I'm not saying that because I'm not a legal professional. That's I'm just saying yeah. that there is a, a more of a case to be made for um, a reporting structure that includes more subordinates uh, and uh, has more effect on the bottom line uh, than a, a, a the kind of job that he has now. So, wasn't the um, dental remember hearing that some of the speculation around the change in Johnny Ives' mm. um, job description was to take him away from being a direct report? Well, he, yeah, to, to to free him from the, the minutia of managing people is certainly how it was presented by Apple. It it made me a bit nervous because the last time Apple made a new chief something officer, chief software officer in that case, it was Avi Tavanian. They made him a chief officer, had no one report to him, and then he left the company shortly afterwards because it was basically their way of throwing him out politely. Yeah, that's always a possibility, isn't it? It is. I, I, I hope to goodness 
you know, history is not repeating itself. Tavanian was a special case. This is nothing like that. And we'll all, you know, everything will be great, but it makes me nervous. I think it may, hopefully it's more that Johnny Ive needs the time to be able to devote to uh, the 10-year plan for products um, and having him set aside, you know, with this focus mm. on that and, and not some of these other things will provide that opportunity. I hope it's not an exit strategy. Yeah, I guess only time will tell. So we'll follow this one under Let's See. Mm-hmm. Um, two quick reports on Apple wanting stuff back. Um, if you bought a Beats Pill XL, it may catch fire. So you probably want to give that back to Apple. They have a recall program. Link in show notes. And if you have a 2012 or early 2013 iMac with a 3 terabyte hard drive, it may be buggy and you can get it replaced for free. And if you've already paid to have it replaced, you can get your money back. So there's a replacement program. Again, link in show notes. Um, Apple Care Plus gets a little bit more plussy. Um, it used to be the case that if your battery went below 50% capacity, you got a new battery. You can now have one 30% sooner, i.e. when your battery drops below 80% of its original capacity, you can now get a new one. And that that is a huge difference because a battery that's only working at 50% is really bloody dead, whereas a battery working at 80% is actually still quite good. So I, I like that. Uh, the original iPad Mini, RIP, Apple quietly removed it from their store. iBooks Author 2.3 is out. You can now write iBooks that can be read on iPhones. Kind of surprised it took this long to get here, but oh well. And then um, one that we may want to have a little chat about. There is the first non-teaser trailer of the Jobs movie. Did did people on the panel watch? I yeah, what it, yeah, the trailer... It's funny because now, did everybody on the panel see the original Jobs movie? Uh, the, the Ashton Kutcher one? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, I've seen that. Yes, okay. I'll, never, I'll never get that hour and a half back. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's funny because I had this conversation with somebody that I'm like, if you look at that movie and you take away that it was about a real person, say if it was mm. a fictional story, it actually made for a kind of interesting stylized movie. When you – we kind of – well, I don't say we know Steve Jobs, but we kind of know about him mm. from being Apple people for as long as we've been Apple people. Mm. It, it was just such an odd movie to me. This – from this trailer, I can't wait to see this movie. I yeah. really – I think it's going to be – I think this one's going to be a little bit closer, maybe not closer to fact, maybe a little less stylized, but I, I think it's going to be a better movie. Well, it's Aaron Sorkin for a start, so that always yeah. that gives me high hopes. Uh, the teaser trailer already had me salivating. This trailer has me salivating even more. Um, we should say that the, Steve Wozniak was interviewed about it, and, you know, good old was. He's never shy of staking his opinion and always getting himself in trouble. He basically said that, yeah, the dialogue is not like I would speak, but the, the he sort of said that the the essence of the movie was, was fine, and he was certainly looking forward to watching it, so... I don't believe he was as complimentary about the Ashton Kutcher one. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> That's being polite. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts on this? Okay, then I will end the show by saying, put a little note in your diary if you like such things. The 21st of July will be Apple's Q3 earnings call. If past his prologue, it'll be a record quarter. It always seems to be a record quarter. Yeah, Apple made all the money. 
<laughs> when sharing in smartphones, it's <laughs> Apple make almost all of it. Samsung get a little, and everyone else makes a loss. Um, yeah, Apple get all the money. <laughs> okay, panel, thank you all very much for giving of your time. Um, I was say I was going to say let's go in reverse order, but I can't remember the order. Oh no, I went geographic. Victor, would you like to give people some links to where they can hear more of your lovely voice and your great opinions? Sure. Uh, you can come to the podcast that I do with George Starcher. It's called Articulate over at articulate.info. And please follow me on Twitter at V-I-C-T-O-R-C-A-J-I-A-O. And if anyone's wondering how to spell Articulate, it's A-R-T-E-C-H-U-L-A-T-E. As in Articulate mm-hmm. Tech. Victor, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure having you on. Thank you. Uh, Steve, you're geographically next in line. Um, Where can people listen to more of you at the moment? Uh, Listen, not so much, but kind of look at what I'm doing right now. When I'm not working, it's kind of all about the photography. So uh, you could check me out at stevestanger.com or on Twitter at TMASteve, where I tweet about you know, life in general, Apple, Mac, iOS stuff, and uh, photography. Cool. And you are, of course, also a Mac roundtabler from time to time. Yes, I am. Excellent. <laughs> Nick, what links would you like to give to the good listeners? Um, only my uh, Twitter handle, really, and that's uh, Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. Excellent. Okay, just before I wrap up, uh, just to say that there are full detailed show notes with links to all the news stories that informed my thinking this month over at lets-talk.ie. While you're over there, you might also notice some large blue buttons in the left sidebar under the heading support the show. Please consider supporting the show. Uh, the intention here is this is not a this is not a money making scheme. This is something I do for fun, but I need it to break even because I'm afraid. I just needed to break even at the moment. Um, so you can click on a Patreon button there. And basically the way Patreon works is that you effectively become a patron of the show. So you pledge a certain amount for every time I get a show out. And the only thing to say is there will be two shows a month, a photography show and an Apple show. So if you pledge $1, it will be $2. If you pledge $5, it will be $10. So you get the idea. And also there's a simple old PayPal button because, well, that's just easy, isn't it? So... Firstly, actually, I also want to say to all of the current patrons of the show, you guys absolutely rock. Each and every month, your income helps offset my bills, and I very much appreciate it. So you guys really make the show possible. And also, a number of listeners have very generously clicked on the PayPal button in the last four weeks. You know who you are. I've sent you a little thank you email, but I'm just going to say on the show, thank you very much. Your support is also very much appreciated. So with that, it just remains to say that I've been your host, Bart Bouchot, so you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. This is Optimus Prime calling all Autobots. Prime to all Autobots. Our new tech fan podcast has been released. Return to base immediately so that we can all enjoy the humans talking about technology. Repeat, Optimus Prime to all Autobots. 
A new tech fan podcast from Spotlight Network has been released. Return to base immediately.